Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Bichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour, and today is Thursday, August 10th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say Start Here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled Why is this happening to me again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. Secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those, we'd appreciate it. You call them uh, or email and share them with us. If you call in, it's 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1. 
It'll let me know that you want to talk. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. If you send us an email, you can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email Jeannie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And we will do our best to address your comment or question on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notice about what day and time we did that, and you can listen back to the archives for your response. And the archives are a very useful uh, additional support tool. As far as support tools go, I would like to mention that we have a support group that happens on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. Today being a Thursday, there will be a support group tonight. All the information you would need to join us is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. That's MindShiftersAcademy.org. And please note there's a separate information page for Tuesday and separate information page for Thursday for the login information to join us. We run from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time, and you're welcome to join us and or pass that information along to somebody you think might benefit and let them join us. So we have plenty of time for a conversation. What's on your mind? How would it be useful for you to spend the rest of this first hour as we are fulfilling the commitment to be here two hours a day, five days a week? Um, Let us know what would be of service to you. I've had a, as I've mentioned, there are a whole series of um, people I'm working with that have a um, high level of competence and intelligence, high level of accomplishment in the world, and yet a very low opinion of themselves. And I just finished a session with someone who is mature and starting a third or fourth career and has been successful on many levels. And we were reviewing her use of the three early memories of conflict uh, tool that Michael and Jeannie offer. And you can find that if you scroll down, if you go to whyagain.org and click on the two words that say start here. Scrolling down that page, you'll see um, a section about worksheets. And one of the worksheets they offer is called the Three Early Memories of Conflict. And this woman had completed this and stirred up all kinds of interesting dynamics from her early childhood one from age three, a memory from age three, a memory from age five, and a memory from age seven or eight when she was in second grade. And when she completed the sentence completions, the sentence stems for that exercise, she realized that 
her pattern of avoiding conflict today is directly related to those early memories of conflict in her life. And it was a, a, a stunning set of realizations for her. You, too, can have that kind of awareness. If you wake up and realize that the decisions that are being made in your life today are being made from the perspective of a wounded three-year-old, five-year-old, or eight-year-old, chances are you're going to want to make a change in the way you make decisions. You're not going to want that to continue, just like you wouldn't want... Uh, an angry or wounded three- or five-year-old deciding what investments you should get into in the stock market. The same thing with in my interactions with other people and in my reactions and relationships. I don't want to be driven by my wounded conclusions or the conclusions that I downloaded when I was injured, wounded, lonely, scared, traumatized, from something in my single-digit years. Again, that's just another example of the many tools that are available on the whyagain.org website. And we encourage you to explore and play around with those. and, And then give us a call and talk about what's working and not working from those different worksheets and or ask a clarifying question because every time that happens, everybody who's listening benefits from that kind of query and explanation and sorting out the details. So this woman had this series of responses to the three early memories of conflict exercise and then she said, So now what do I do with it? And we talked about the process of what Dr. Michael Rice would say if he were doing a a workshop, and he usually would have lots and lots of stuff um, written out on his whiteboard, which was about a four-foot by seven- or eight-foot sheet of the formica or whatever it is and it would be full of stuff and somebody would say okay so I get it and then this happens and this happens but then what do I do and Michael would routinely turn around and point at the board where it says at the top all of the above and so what do you do when you've done the three early memories of conflict and you see these patterns you do worksheets, you do targeted journaling that Michael calls a mind shifter, you do some breath work, you do EFT tapping if you are finding that particular tool of use, and you soften and breathe through whatever comes up as you open the space for anything that you're not aware of to rise to the surface. Because when it comes to conscious awareness, it loses its ability to drive your behavior from the unconscious perspective. One of the things Michael would say in some of his earlier lectures is, the strongest resonant frequency 
in your mind-body energy system that you're not aware of, that is what's going to drive your behavior in the next moment. And so with that understanding from that level of human functioning and physics and resonance, I want to become more and more consciously aware of whatever is in me that can get triggered into resonance. And and I, I talked about this a while ago in the past week or two, that um, when somebody made the comment to me, oh boy, you're really digging deep on this issue or you're really diving deep into the muck or whatever, what came to me to say is it's much more accurate is to say, I'm not really diving deep or digging in because that would be using my conscious logical mind to talk about, you know, um, figuring it out kind of thing. What's much more accurate in my uh, experience is that I am really just setting aside my very strong entrenched pattern of denial and suppression and I'm moving into willingness. The image that came to me was that of taking the manhole cover off the manhole and just allowing whatever wants to bubble up to bubble up. So she had this three early memories of conflict and this realization that she talked several times in that process about how she doesn't like change and she doesn't like how unpredictable life is and she doesn't like how unpredictable and scary relationships are. So we talked about formulating a mind shifter for her that was of the format of it's safe and healing for me, and I love it that life and relationships are always changing and so unpredictable. And if she's willing to write about that, she will become aware of things in her mind and her psyche that have been hidden from her, and yet every time they get activated, they drive her behavior. Susan, welcome. Hi. Hi. Great topic. I had, uh, we were in our little support group on Wednesday, and I, apropos of what you're saying, another way or an addition to using the wake-up sheet I've been using, because it was suggested by one of the people in my group, he's a man in his 80s, who does a lot of breathing and allowing. And what he also does is what I was taught to say during a tapping session, even though I'm feeling this or even though this happened or even though I think this person feels this way about me or something, I love myself and God loves me unconditionally. And he said, you really can't figure out these things and they can be very sharply painful for a moment, but if you stop, if you're in the middle of a worksheet, every step 
you can stop in the middle of a worksheet and say, um, I, I'm feeling this and this is okay and I love myself and I'm an acceptable good person or whatever. He says he does that with himself all the time and comes back to feeling centered and more peaceful. So I was. you mentioned the other day about shame and I don't know where how much you talked about that. I think I had to get off the show, but sometimes in the middle of a worksheet, I'll find that shame is just such a clinker, such a roadblock. But this little exercise helps me get on my tracks again. So um, I just thought I would suggest that to anybody who might be interested in plugging it in and right in the middle of a worksheet. Yeah, it's a great idea. I um I used to teach an all-day class on the EFT tapping. And in that, as a process, I would, you know, uh, make use of lots of different things that would come from teaching that technique in my office. And mm-hmm. one of the things that would happen is I would teach people the EFT tapping, and we would do a round or two in the session, and they would say, wow, that was great, that was powerful, I can't believe how relaxed I am or how I got a shift in that. And I'd say, okay, glad you liked it. Um, Why don't you do, you know, tap two or three times a day until we meet again next week or whatever, and then we'll talk about it. And they would come back a week or so later, and uh, I'd say, okay, how'd it go? Did you do any tapping? And they'd say, no. And one of the things they would say is, the most common one was they would say, I didn't know what to say. I forgot what to say. Oh. And the other and the other one is that they would say, um, I forgot where the tapping points were. Now, this despite the fact that we sent them home with a diagram, et cetera, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I would say during that all-day workshop, I'd say, if you just if you have forgotten everything about where the tapping points are, but you simply said 15 or 20 times a day, I deeply and completely love and accept myself, don't you think your life would get better? Yeah. And then I would say to them, and um, let's say you don't know what to say, but you, you take time five or more times a day, I used to say, you know, three times, once in the morning, once in the middle of the day, and once at night. And then for anybody who has anxiety, I'd double it. But I'd say Mm -hmm. if if three to five times a day, you took time to take a few deep breaths and just rub or tap on these energy points, you'd get benefit. Because Mm -hmm. what you're doing is slowing down and tuning into what's going on in your mind-body energy system and doing what we call self-care. You're being gentle with yourself. And you would get benefit. So I, you know, firmly agree with that because I've gotten such benefit from it in my own life practice. I asked this man in our group, I said, this sounds like what we're told to say when we're doing tapping. And he said, yes, but this 
these sentences we say to each other, I learned them way before tapping became a thing. He's in his mid-80s. And so I guess tapping, the adding of the bodily stuff came after. Not that it makes any yeah. difference. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's, there's, it's, the, it, what's happened with the EFT tapping is it's an integration of all kinds of stuff. Mm. And the guy that created the EFT tapping, he paid probably a quarter of a million dollars taking a whole bunch of other different very highly proprietary energy medicine trainings. And then after seeing how powerful and effective they were, he had his own, I think at one point he would call it a God moment, where he just got Mm. the download that, hey, this doesn't have to be this hard. Yeah, and you can put this on the internet for free. Imagine the people that were upset with him for that when they were charging thousands yeah. of dollars. Oh gosh! But he put it on yeah, the internet I for see. free because that's what mm-hmm. his guidance was. Mm. But he was putting it on the internet for free and just combining all kinds of things into a very simple Is format. This- is this the man who does all those videos now? I can't remember his name. No. No, his name, okay. the guy that created it, his name is Gary Craig, C-R-A-I-G. Oh, okay. And if you want to well, tap into his up. website, it's, it's E-M-O for emotional, mm-hmm. dot com. Emofree.com. Mm-hmm. It ends up not really mattering. A lot of it doesn't really matter what you do. It's kind of like collecting yourself and reminding yourself that you're a self. My my yeah. friend on the support group kept saying he's a scientist and an intellectual and he's had several different careers. And he said, I, I have given up trying to think my way through these things. I just do it. And I'm thinking that's what Michael always says, the the non-being mind, <laughs> the pseudo-solutions. He says they're, they're nothing but just doing them. And he said they don't have to feel like anything at all. You don't have to believe what you're saying. You just say it. And he said it will have an effect. After a while, it have a tremendous effect. And then it becomes a shortcut to correcting upset, helping so anyway, yeah, the creator of the EFT tapping, Gary Craig, said fairly early on, he said, we are on the ground floor of a healing high rise and we have mm. no idea where this is going to go. But he said, I fully expect that down the road we're going to learn that we don't even need the tapping, that it's all so yeah. much more about intent intention, yeah. what Michael Wright would call mm-hmm. mind energy and focus and clarity. and Right. Well, the guy that created EFT tapping was saying that early on. And and that was at a time when people were just, you know, wanting to worship him like a god and he, had, you know, would have lots and lots of people at his workshops and seminars and people getting tremendous shifts and releases of phobias, mm. etc., and he was saying, yeah, you know, but, you know, we're probably going to learn that you don't even need to do the tapping. 
And what's yeah. far more important is the clarity of your intent and your focus and your willingness. So, yeah, there's nothing that says... I mean, he, he, he created the EFT tapping as a kind of an evolution from thought field therapy and some other tapping techniques that had very precise algorithms and sequences of tap of this many times on this point and then this many times on that point in just this sequence. And and his download was, I don't think it has to be that complicated. I think you can hold on consciously to whatever feels upsetting, pair that with a thought that even though I don't know how, it can get better, and tap and breathe mm-hmm. with all of the energy meridians, and whatever needs to get released will get released. Mm-hmm. And he tried it for himself, and it worked beautifully, and he tried it and taught it to others, and it worked beautifully, and that's how EFT came into being. You know, having it be that complicated might have its uses for somebody who's trying to figure something out. If they have something that's basically thought-generated, like I have to count six times for every tap on this place and then six times on here, it gives the mind something to do that maybe will end up being like a bridge into what doesn't benefit from thinking. I don't well, know if that made that any sense. Yeah, perhaps that could happen. Um, What I do know that some people find that it, it, just like anything else, we can turn anything into a problem. I know. Some people say, oh, you can turn anything into a solution. Yeah, and we can also turn anything into a problem. I can make, I need to stop and tap before I walk through a doorway, and then I need to stop and tap five times spinning to the right before I walk through the door. Now I've just made a new obsessive compulsive pattern. And right. it's not, it isn't beneficial at that point. Right. Because, you know, the core of what is healing and useful is softening and allowing, not controlling. And one of the problems people have when they are engaged in that obsessive compulsive stuff is they're using their ability to create a sense of control. Notice how I said a sense of control as the drug that calms them from their anxiety, but they don't really have any control over it. Mm. And so, you know, and anything that a person does can become part of another problem for them if they're stuck in the loop of trying to control life. Yeah. Well, okay. Carry on. I don't have anything more to say. I just, you reminded me of this man and what he had said, and I wanted to say how useful that is to add that into the wake-up sheet. It's like a little patter within the patter. Yep, and give it a try. If it works for you, keep doing it and do more of it. Mm. That's, you know, I talking to somebody recently and they said, so how'd you get started? And I said, well, I got started as a probation officer. And in that field, in that line of work, 
there are a lot of people who need very practical solutions mm. to these serious problems in their life. So at the beginning of my therapizing career, that was, you know, it was founded upon this, let's help people find practical solutions. And so well, we try need it them. if it works for you. Yeah, try it if it works for you. Keep doing more of it. And don't let anybody talk you out of it. <laughs> no, they won't. Yeah. Like if, if you're in the position where you're going to have Michael's view of uh, even – uh, everything is energy in your body's energy, and, and so that means it's supposed to be e- eternal and your body's never supposed to die. If you take that position and the things that you start doing based on that set of assumptions are helping you, keep doing it. Don't let anybody talk you out and saying, oh, that's silly, we know your body's in, it doesn't matter. And if you're facing somebody like Michael who's wants to talk all about that and it doesn't make any sense to you, but it does make sense to do a slightly different perspective, use what works for you. Mm-hmm. I think this is the second or third time this week that we're coming back around to saying this is about you learning to tap into your own higher guidance. This is not about you following anyone or anything. Mm-hmm. This is just a this work is literally just a series of invitations. Try this. Mm. Yeah. And if you don't want to try it, don't try it. We've had some commentary from um, Audrey recently where she was talking about how she's grateful for all of the upsets and traumas in her life, whether it was polio or whatever. Yeah. And and I've talked about that. I'm, I'm not at the point where I can look back on my life and say I'm grateful for everything that's happened. I can find different things to be grateful for in any moment. I had somebody send me a a long email about the Star Trek um, Strange New Worlds. Apparently there's a new Star Trek series out. And there's this lengthy email about this very point that with the instigation of time travel in these science fiction fantasy things, they have the chance to go back and change things, stop people who ended up growing up to be somebody who caused World War Three or World War Four or whatever, and um, and basically what they found is that as they've written this storyline, it's that. Everything that happens unfolds in ways and leads to good things that you can't predict. Right, that's true. And so here's this here's this person that caused all of this destruction and 
But in the process of his causing all that destruction, people woke up and realized what they needed to do to change their lives for the better. And so at one level he was destroying things, and at another level he was saving the world. And she writes, you know, oh, it was so, so powerful. I'm still, I'm, I'm still processing it, trying to understand why, but it's some of... Some of the, the, the points she writes is that we really need all of our past, even the worst of it, to be where we are now. Well, that's true. And I don't know that that's true. And... Well, I don't know that that's true, right? I don't know that we need the suffering in order to have the joy. I just know that I can't make it different. That's so. But I what I choose to do with it, how I choose to interpret and respond to it, is far more important to me than what actually happens. Because I don't have control over what actually happens in that sense. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't have any control over... I have very good friends from high school who are... They've lost their home in the fires on Maui. Right. And, and they're safe... Right, but but everything physically that they owned is gone. Wow. You know, the house is gone, all their possessions, et cetera. They had just minutes to to rush out and to survive. Now, I was mm. thinking about that this morning because I've seen the posts by other people that I know from high school and on Facebook and et cetera, and I, I found myself thinking about what would I say if. I was going to comment about that or if I was face-to-face or voice-to-voice with one of my high school friends talking about this, I wouldn't know what to say. I would mostly just stay quiet and listen to what perspective they were going to take and then just empathize with them, whatever their perspective, because if they want to say, oh, poor me and woe is me, and I, I just I don't want to give them some teachings like this. Hey, listen, we all need everything that's horrible that happens in our life. I, that's not the time to do that. <laughs> No, right, and so, and and so I wouldn't take that position, and yet, as I sit here and think about it, I recognize how many times in my life, all kinds of things have been swept away, and what I was given by my parents is that phrase I've shared before: "This is way too important to panic about." So what am I going to do with this? I'm not spending a lot of time saying how bad and tragic this is or was and how this shouldn't have happened. I'm going to move into what do I have to deal with here and how am I going to deal with it? What am I going to do with this fact, with this set that's of facts? That's so good. And, and that's, that's so the power. Yeah, I'm about to hang up this phone and uh, and interview uh, Stephen Jacobs, and I read this um Yesterday it said, uh, he says, the real power in any situation is always our interpretation of that situation. Yeah. Our comfort or discomfort depends to a large extent on what we say about the situation, what we say about ourselves, what we say about others who might be involved. What were you going to say? That led me to a question I've had. I I asked myself this. Am I telling this story or recounting this memory as a way of 
making the story real again, finding another way to make myself right. That's really a sticky point with me. And I remember you stopped Audrey. It looked as if she was going into a recitation of some of the bad things that happened to her in childhood. That wasn't her intention. She was going to say, those things sound awful, but I am grateful. But you you jumped in there because you were, I'm, I imagine you were trying to keep her from going into rehearsal to make it all true again, to make it all upsetting again, and to reinforce the upset rather than the healing. Um, and well, I and, wonder, and, even... And, 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 and consider the context there. That wasn't a private therapy session, which would have made it very, right. very different. And it was on the heels of Celinda having called and reciting a series of negatives. And I just didn't want to say, okay, this is the, you know, the format of the show. I wanted to be clear about that in this show what we're trying to present to people is, even if they're only going to listen to one, one episode of the show, the idea of hopefulness and use of tools. Yeah. That's and she got to it, right? I, I, I interrupted yeah. her after, you know, whatever she was saying about this childhood trauma and, and locked in a closet or whatever, and I, I interrupted her, and then she got to the good part. Yeah, that's true. I've even asked myself if coming on the radio show is another way of, for me, um, kind of wallowing in the struggles. This is just my personal question that I ask myself. Am I being healthy coming on this radio show? I well, think and it's okay to ask it's... that question, right? It's a yeah. really good thing at some point to ask that question and do an evaluation. What I think you'll find right. out is that your participation in the show over these years has been extraordinarily useful for you in a variety of ways. Oh, it has. It has, but now I wonder, is this a way of holding on to things or holding on to a kind of pattern that I don't, that isn't good. I just can't answer that question. I just have to keep my eye peeled because I'm tricky. Everybody else is too, I'm sure. But Well, it's a good thing to to stay vigilant, right? This is, uh, if Michael were here, he would say something about the persistent and consistent application of these tools. Mm. And he likes to quote the what he says is a Yeshua statement about when asked, how many times do we have to do the forgiveness process? And Yeshua says, 77 times 70 meaning right. an infinite number of times until it's complete. Mm. And I have thought it's not going to be complete. This is just one of the things I run up against. This is too hard. This is too early. I don't understand it. It hurts too much. And that's one of the reasons I'm using this tapping tool. It's like another approach. It's another angle that might help loosen what looks like, you know, something cast in stone, this 
just not going to budge. You mean something within you? Yeah. That's cast in stone that's not going to budge? Yeah. Yeah. Like a way what? Of thinking, a way of, well, a way of thinking, shame, way of thinking, way of reacting, um, certain insecurities that pop up. Those are just such ingrained habits. <clears throat> and this man on our support group said, yeah, I, I'm not sure my stuff will ever go away either, but I do this tapping thing and it helps. Maybe it's just going to be managed rather than well, I, you know, I, I just think of the, the things they told us in uh, graduate school where they said, once you identify your core issues, and that's a big part of what we were doing in that first-year group that was um, what they called a communication group. And they said, mm-hmm. if your eyes are open, if you're willing to see it, you'll start to identify some of your core issues. And they said, once you identify your core issues, you will be taking them with you to your grave. There is no getting over your core issues. Your only Mm -hmm. option is, do you accept them as your issue and you recognize when they're triggered and you take responsibility for what you're creating with that? Or do Mm -hmm. you try to deny it and blame others and therefore amplify the damage and or the stuckness, those are your only options. If you choose to take responsibility for it and learn to work with it, you'll get better and better at working with those issues over time. Mm. And at one point, one of the teachers said, you know, I I see my issues now as an old friend. I see him walking down the street. I just go, oh, hey, welcome back. Fear, loneliness. <laughs> no, let's let's see yeah. what you have to offer me this time. And and the traumatizing pattern or impact is alleviated because I'm not fighting it. I'm not denying it, suppressing it. I'm not blaming it on somebody else. I'm welcoming it and understanding my part in creating it. And once I do that, then I can start changing my part, either in creating or maintaining those negative emotions or those fears or those stuck points, etc. That is all wonderful. And I, I think that's great if you can stay on that side of the fence. Such a part of me still wants to get what I want. And so I... I think, am I, am I exercising these things, thinking about these things, even doing wake-up things, in order to sit in what I still hope for, still holding goals? They get, they get sneakier and sneakier. I don't know where you could go with this, but I'm just telling you this is happening, and I just watch it and watch it. I'm, there are things I want, and I'm not going to get them. And I'm still somehow maneuvering so that I can get them. Well, um, I'm, I'm just called to 
come back to the idea of stay results focused. If that's yeah. working for you, keep doing it. If you find that you're you're finding yourself kind of backed into a corner or banging your head against a brick wall, you might want to try something else. And in the, you know, in in the in the broadest sense, trying something else means letting go, canceling the goal. Mm-hmm. Watching with the um and and again, there's nothing wrong with the goal. The only reason I cancel a goal is that when I'm holding on to it, I'm starting to experience the negative emotional state. I'm turning on the microphone for area code 541. Yes, thank you for this conversation. Thank you, Susan. We seem to be on track with each other on our issues. Um, I wanted to share with you that it's interesting that you said that about Gary Craig, uh, Dr. Tim, because he now his whole website now, Optimum F-E-F-T, um, he has that book I mentioned before, The Inner Therapist, and pretty much he's going towards that, which is very similar to some tools that we use in the Aramaic gospel work. So I thought I'd share that with you. And also, if you have an opportunity to interview Gary Craig, if you haven't already, um, especially now with his new Optimum, uh, the inner uh, EFT with the inner therapist, and the inner therapist, you don't even do tapping anyway unless you're led to by that work. And um, it might be fun to have an interview with him and see where he is now as compared to where he was when he first started EFT. All right, that's an excellent suggestion. I will reach out to him again. I know I did a number of years ago and didn't hear back, but I'll try it again. We'll see what he's up to and if he's willing. Yes, that would be great if he is. Any any other thoughts from you? No, I really would like to continue listening to your and Susan's conversation because everything that you all have said on the show has been very, very helpful for me this past couple weeks. Thank you. Okay. All right. I'll mute you so you can listen in. And I will turn on the microphone for 760. Is this Anne? Yes. (laughs) I just thought I'd join in. Um, Two things. The one that Susan was talking about earlier um wondering, Susan, if you hadn't come on the show. And I was thinking, well, what would be different if I hadn't come on the show? I wouldn't be where I am. So I, it helped me to think about that. And I don't know if that would be the same for you. I mean, you know, like Dr. Tim said, and I've observed too, you've come a long way. And I know I have, even though, you know, I haven't been – excellent or whatever percentage I want to put it on about, you know, pen to paper, but just even the listening over and over or doing archives and, you know, and then the, when asking to be shown, things are presented and I know I'm doing things differently. Um, So for me, yeah, hands down coming on the show and taking that risk to share, you know, 
has put me in a better place. And then, um, Dr. Yeah. So I'm going to believe that for you at some point whenever you get there. Oh, I, I don't mean to say I haven't gotten huge amount. This has been just great. Yeah. I, I think what I've discovered even just talking on the show is I've got to do another wake-up sheet because my feeling is yeah. if I give up this goal, I'm going to be depressed. And I am depressed because I'm giving up a goal I don't want to give up, and I'm not ready to give it up, so I'm getting depressed. Okay, more wake-up sheets. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> and then the other one, then, Dr. Tim, when you said that person or, or um, in college, whatever the professor was it that said about – you know, the core issues are going to be with us forever. Well, okay, that may or may not be true. I mean, you know, I may or may not go along with that. However, if it is true, then when I get to the end of my life, it will be different. I will be responding different because of the work that I've done had I not done it. Because I watched when my mom passed and then a friend's mom who went out screaming, you know, my mom didn't go out screaming, but she had all these doubts and wondered if, you know, there was forgiveness, What you know, because in her day they didn't talk about emotions and stuff. So I just know at least, you know, the core issues are there at the end. Okay, I'll, I'll deal with that, but I know I'll go out differently. So anyway, that's, that's all I have. Thanks and blessings and keep sharing, Susie. Oh, sorry, Susan. <laughs> Thank you. That's okay. I go by many names. Thank you, Anne. You're very kind. <laughs> oh, you're welcome and deserving, and thank you, Dr. Tim, again. You're very welcome. Thank you. And I'll mute you so you can listen in. Um, so, Susan, I I hear that you weren't ever raising the question about whether this was beneficial for calling the internet show. What I no, heard you say was you, you you do have a question about whether or not it might morph into something else for you going forward. Yeah, like a way of hanging on to things I want. Yeah, not, or a distraction no, from facing something else, et cetera. Right. The, the, the thing I wanted to point out is I just want to point out that that when you cancel a goal and you say, if I cancel the goal, I get depressed, wow, that's a great thing to cancel, but not forever. It's not like, you know, listen, Susan, we're going to hold you, I'll be your accountability partner, and if I ever hear you talk about that goal again, you have to, you know, send $1,000 to a charity you hate or whatever. It's not like that. It's, it's that when I load the goal, if I feel the negative emotional state, if I have the self-doubt, the upset, et cetera, the depression, I want to cancel the goal in that moment for that worksheet so I can get access to the energies in me that I'm hiding from myself because exactly. that depression, is not, that anger, that fear is not being caused by the goal. Mm, right. I do understand that. I was thinking about my grandson, Luke, who, and he had to give it up. He cannot touch it. And he says he feels terrible sometimes. He knows that if we could just have a little drink, it would just take the edge off. 
anxiety that he has a lot of because he's facing all the early stuff that drink was masking. And I'm thinking, is that what it's like? Do you just absolutely give up once and for all something that you have used? I mean, I was in AA for six years. I've mentioned this before. Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, but I define myself as a relationship addict. Getting attached, feeling as if I'm not okay unless the person I'm focused on cares about me. If they don't care about me, I feel as if I'm going to suffocate. And it's really suspect how many different people throughout my life I have put that um, label on or attach that need to. So I'm well aware that it's a mirage and yet giving up a goal in the moment doesn't feel like a mirage. It feels like I'm going to starve. Yes. Excellent. And that's what I need to face. That, that, you know, the realization that I'm the one that's creating that terror and that irrational belief that I'm going to starve or I won't be able to survive, that's all inside me, whether I have that goal there or not. And yep. if I'm not feeling that terror, it just means I'm using that goal or some other numbing agent or distracting agent to hide it from me. I want to go in there and find out what is this part of me that's so wounded, this talk, trauma or toxin that's in there, that's so powerful that it comes up at the thought of canceling this this goal because that's sitting in me. Mm-hmm. Michael likes to say it's disintegrative energy. It's counterproductive energy that I'm carrying around with yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Everywhere mm-hmm. I go, it's having its negative effect. It's kind of like, um, you know, years ago, well, it's even now, but years ago I remember some of these old shows about the radiation, the silent killer, people didn't know they're walking around doing their jobs and they don't know that they're being exposed to radiation and then they start getting all these illnesses. Well, it's the same yeah. thing with my my emotional traumas and toxins. I keep them hidden from me, but it doesn't mean they're not doing their damage. Yeah. Well, it means, though, that you've got to go back and look at those traumas and yet looking at them doesn't seem productive. Looking at well, them, but it again, like, again, it, it, yeah. it isn't going back, Susan. Just, just come into what we were talking about earlier. Even in this session, it's not diving deep and digging in the mud. It's in the present moment, dealing with whatever's coming up. Whenever I cancel the goal, it's just allowing what's already there to see the light of day and to keep my breath moving through it, so that I add what Michael would call this catalyst of the breath to this crystallized, traumatized energy and let it move out. It's already there. It's already having its negative effects. It's just hidden, and all we're doing is shining the light of awareness on it. Mm-hmm. And, and when I do that, I'm, I'm, I'm confronting this younger, traumatized part of me that has been holding on to the conclusion that he, she, or they can't handle that energy. 
but they've already handled it. They've already survived it. They've already labeled it, judged it, and hidden it away from themselves. Like Guy Finley says over and over again, there's no such thing as bad self-knowledge. You're not going to find a bad fact about yourself. If you turn and look at the things you've been running and hiding from, you see that in truth you are bigger than they are. You've already been through it. There's no need to hide from it. And in the hiding and running from it and denying and suppressing it, you're creating far more pain than you than you be than you need to than the original event was. Yeah. Okay. This is making sense. How so? I'm holding on to a belief that I won't survive without this, whatever it is, relationship. I'm holding on to that belief, and I believe that belief. I believe it, and I also think that if I give it up, I will survive. I'll be okay, but I won't be alive. I'll be like (laughs) a two-dimensional stick figure. (laughs) I'll be two-dimensional. Anyway, the yeah, this is – thanks for hanging in with this one. All the way around the pony track again. Well, it just, it's so good to see those beliefs, those statements with clarity. And I can't see them with that clarity if I'm just stuck in my own ruminations and thoughts. So talking Mm -hmm. it out like this and or letting yourself write it out in a mind shifter is so much power because it, it doesn't let it hide. Yeah, I can see a mind shifter forming. I said, make one up myself. That's good. You're a well, good you know, doctor. Thank the, you for the, hanging the, the, in on this one. <laughs> well, you're very welcome and deserving. And, and the simplest mind shift that comes to me is it's safe and healing for me to turn and look at everything I think will destroy me. That's good. Yep. I'm writing it down. All right. I will mute you so you can listen into the second hour. Thanks again for all of your participation and your willingness. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Great conversation. Thank you, Susan. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. Welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Thursday, August the 10th, 2023. And their call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. We would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And thanks for hanging with us yesterday. Uh, Michael and I had a chiropractor appointment, and 
the chiropractor was backlogged and it was going to take longer than getting us both a treatment and then being able to get back home and get the switchboard going and, and everything. So we just texted Dr. Tim at the last minute and asked him to play the next hour of the Wadup. So thank you for being patient with us on those days when something comes up and we just have to, to uh, play a show. And we do appreciate you and appreciate you being here and we would like to answer your questions. So if you have one, press one and it puts a hand up. If you are on Blog Talk and you have an account with them, you can chat in the chat room. And if you have, um, like if you're overseas or something and you don't have free cell minutes to call in, you can let me know in the chat room and if I have your email address, I can send you an invite from the switchboard and I think that that brings you in free. So if that happens and we do ask that that be reserved for those who absolutely need it. If you have free cell minutes, please use those instead of this option. And I'm going to welcome Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here and excited at uh, all the new levels of understanding that's coming with this work. And one of the things that um, I would offer Jeannie, uh, and you kind of apologize for playing a show, actually, one of the things that you've done is put a lot of work into separating out some of our best shows. And so when we replay a show, it's really an important piece of information. You know, even if you listened to that show last week, you know, we've been talking about how we build brain cells and that the perceptual mind can only replicate what its content is. And until the brain cells are built. You know, you go back to Yeshua 2,000 years ago, and he says his work is for those who, quote, unquote, have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. In other words, well, first of all, I, I think we can fairly safely assume that most everybody in his audience had what we call eyes and ears. Yes, there were some blind and some were deaf, but primarily most everybody had that. So he wasn't obviously talking about physical eyes and ears. What he was saying is that when he or anyone else uses a word, the listener has to have precisely the same brain cells resonated by that word in order to understand the meaning of that word. You know, I've shared before a, uh, a line in the song. I'd actually like to meet this gentleman at some point to be able to come up with this line, this, this level of understanding. If you've ever seen the movie, The Accountant, at the end of it, there's a piece of music, and one of the lines in the song was just blockbuster for me when I heard it. And that is that what he says is, you can't read a book that you haven't written. So if, if you know, I read my book in their words and their paragraphs, and only my mind can structure a perceptual construct for everything that I mean by what I'm writing there. Your mind can only 
structure a perceptual construct for what brain cells you have for that word or that combination of words. If you don't have the eyes to see or the ears to hear the brain cells that I have, then you can't hear my words. (laughs) When you go back and listen to the archives or when Jeannie picks out one of those treasured shows that she replays, listen carefully because there's some of the most important building of brain cells and that's where people will tap in and you know, have that aha moment. Gee, you know, I heard that, that show last week and and I just heard it again today and like there was a whole new set of meanings. Why would there be a whole new set of meanings? Because you had built new brain cells through which to perceive what was being said. And so I can read my book. You can't read. I mean, you can pick my book up and you can read it, but everything that you're going to quote unquote see that your brain's going to produce as you read my book is going to be the content of your brain cells. Where you and I match, and one of the reasons why we dedicate ourselves to doing this show every day is so that the conversation goes on and as many people as possible can build the brain cells so that each time you have a new set of brain cells to hear a particular idea in, your mind will generate a whole new construct. And of course, remembering that the forgiveness process is about collapsing the constructs of the mind that don't match actuality. Ultimately, we need to come from the same mind as the creator comes from to understand the meaning of anything in the world as it actually is the actuality of it, not the realities our minds come up with. I remember I was at a conference about 35 years ago. I used to keynote at a conference called Global Sciences. And so a gentleman, many of you may have heard of him or may have known him. His name was Bob Beck. Bob was a scientist, inventor, genius, genius mind, and just a really sweet guy. And I'd been doing this work for... Hmm, about 20 years at the point where I met Bob. I was at the conference and he's up presenting. I'd done my presentation. He's up presenting. And he introduced me to what was a totally new concept, but has become the root, one of the root concepts of this work. And he didn't have the same brain cells for it as I did, but he presented it and it was just like, bing, oh, that's it. That's the language we need. And he spoke about reality and actuality. Actually, (laughs) that was how I met Bob after his presentation. I hadn't met him prior to that, even though he'd been at a couple of conferences I'd been at. But after that presentation, I went up and shook his hand and thanked him. And he looked at me and said, and what are you thanking me for? And I reached in my pocket and I took out a $50 bill and handed it to him. And Bob was like, well, what's this? said, you just gave me one of the keys to the body of work that I've been developing for years. And I appreciate it, so thank you, here. And he was like, I mean, he was almost in tears. like, nobody's ever thanked me like this before. Nobody's ever done that. Anyway, Bob's passed now, but he was a pretty amazing, just a genius of a man. We became very good friends. Spent time with him in Hawaii way back then. We, we did a couple of uh, journey trips together, you know, journeying around the country and such. Anyway, so reality 
is the structured output of the human mind. And the Course in Miracles is called perception. And you remember the Course in the lesson, the very important lesson, and the whole two-hour lesson is available now on our YouTube channel. It used to just be the 30-minute abbreviated lesson, but when we uh, did the uh, Hear My Voice book club, we decided to pull that one out of the paid file and put it into that workshop. So now it's available. What is the world? And in the opening lines of that lesson, of course, it's just beautifully written on this, as the world is false perception. When we're talking about forgiving, when we're talking about the world where forgiveness is needed, we are talking about one world and one world only, and that's the reality output from your mind. Most people live in that world, that structure in their minds, and they never go outside of it. The course in that particular lesson says, perception is a skill made up by you to take the place of what the Creator gave you in creation. In other words, to take the place of actuality. If we're ever going to experience actuality, we're going to have to collapse the false realities that we hold in our minds that we substitute for actuality. So the Course talks about, the ancient scriptures talk about, and there's nothing religious about this. Unfortunately, this word's come to be a religious-oriented word, but it's not. It's got nothing to do with religion. Paul talked about the mind of Christ in you. Now, when we talk about the mind of Christ, we're not talking about a religious man. We're not talking about a man that lived 2,000 years ago. We're talking about literally the mind of love, which we would, in the religious vernacular, say the mind of God. That mind is in you. You have the right to think with that mind. But if you're thinking with your carbon-based memory mind, with perception, the constructs of your mind, then you substitute what the Creator's mind has in view for us with your own generational and cultural patterns of, sadly, in many, many cases, of hostility and fear. So the objective of forgiveness is to collapse perception, to recognize what it is that causes us to perceive in a certain way, and to collapse those perceptions so there's a space for us to start to come to a direct experience through the mind of love in us of what the actuality contains. And there will never be anything based in hostility or fear injected into the actuality or injected into our minds by the actuality. All of that hostility and fear stuff is cultural, it's genetic. It's been going on for a thousand generations in our bloodline, and it's time to get rid of it. So our invitation is, if your mind serves up anything based in hostility or fear, recognize that's your carbon-based memory, and your mind is using corrupt data, and when you begin to apply forgiveness, forgiveness will remove the corrupt data from your mind, from your carbon-based memory, from your multi-generational database, and you'll be freed of it. Then you'll be able to come to the actuality with the mind that Christ came to it with. Again, not a man named Yeshua. The word Christ in Aramaic is the name of an office. It is not the same name of a person. So Yeshua became known as the Christ. 
In Aramaic, that word more literally would actually be the buttered one or the oiled one. They would anoint with oil someone who had awakened to the mind of love, to the mind of Christ in them. So Paul talked about, you know, the mind of Christ in you, not meaning the mind of Yeshua, but the mind of love that is your connection to the creator, to the actuality of the world. And my take and this new James Hubble telescope, I was watching some stuff on it again yesterday, and it's just amazing. I would offer that, you know, I mean, what they're telling us is the Big Bang theories did. They're going to have to redo the whole theory. They're going to have to, you know, all kinds of stuff is going to be thrown up because carbon-based memory has been feeding us lies for a long, long time, even in the scientific world. But what what the, this James Webb, Webb telescope is showing us is that like billions and billions and billions of years beyond what anybody ever thought. And the spaces involved, the, the, the size of the universe, like it, I don't know what the number is, it just went up by 50 times in most scientists' minds with what this James Hubble telescope is showing us. And they're, I mean, they're literally, there's a, a Michio Kaiku, who's a physicist, probably one of the best-known physicists in the world, the video I watched yesterday, said, why have they been lying to us? And I, he didn't explain it. I didn't quite, I would like to know why, you know, as a physicist. I mean, this guy is top drawer physicist. And he didn't, the title of his talk wasn't, why were they mistaken or they were mistaken. He said, they've been lying to us. I'm not sure exactly what he means by that. I don't have a phone number for him. I'd love to ask why. Why do you call it a lie? Why isn't it just well, the Hubble is, or, you know, the Hubble was something, but this thing is like 50 times uh, more powerful than the Hubble, and so we're seeing 50 times further into the universe and so much more. And I would have thought, you know, a current physicist when that that new those new discoveries were, wow, we were in error. But he didn't say we were in error. I said, why do they lie to us? In any event, my offering is that if we're living out of that mind, we have the capability of comprehending that whole thing, comprehending, making sense of the whole creation. We have access to that mind that, you know, the religionists would have called the mind of God. But it's not religious to live in that mind. It's where, like living in that mind is the highest mind you can possibly live in, and that mind is based in love because that's the one that can comprehend all of it. It isn't limited to this little hostility and fear-based self that gets insulted at every turn and somebody just turns their head the wrong way or breathes the wrong way or says the wrong thing and people go berserk and blame. Oh, look what you've done to me. So getting free of carbon-based memory and entering into that mind is a process. And carbon-based memory, what was called the mind of man, has to have the building blocks so we can walk across the bridge to the mind of Christ. Again, not a religious idea. If you talk to a modern-day physicist, they'll tell you that your body, if you took it into the lab and said, here, take my body and take it all apart and tell me what the base elements are the most basic element of your so-called body is carbon. 
And if you look at a natural carbon atom, there are six electrons, six protons, six neutrons. That's where memory is stored. That's where brain cells, brain cell information is stored in carbon-based memory. If carbon-based memory, your multi-generational database serves up to you a construct perception based in errant content, corrupt data, hostility or fear stored within your carbon-based memory, then you are stuck in the mind of 666. What was that? The Antichrist. So there's the mind of love in you, the fact where you live. And I don't care whether, you know, you're working in a factory or you're working as a physicist or you're, you're a homeowner or you're working in the garden. <laughs> the fact is you're designed to be connected to the mind of love and function out of that, and that's the one that's going to bring you to the highest levels of experience of life that you can possibly come to. And if the only thing you know is what is in your brain cells and your carbon-based memory, then you're limited to the past generations. You're stuck with whatever constructs were dominant in the generational patterns. That was what was meant by that scriptural quote where you hear the Creator speaking to humans. And the Creator says, the sins of the fathers. And again, let's get rid of the religious context. The word context. The word sin is an archery term. When you fired at the bullseye and you missed the bullseye, the scorekeeper yelled sin. That's all it means. Off the mark. You missed the target. That's all the word sin means. So each time we miss the target, if, if I am my son's father, everything that was off the mark in me the day he was conceived was received in his carbon-based memory system. And if he doesn't resolve it, it was received by his daughter when she was conceived. And so we have generations and generations and generations. That's why to get out of the desert in that story about being lost in the desert for 40 years, what had to happen? The old generation had to die. You had to get out of what was in carbon-based memory. So to forgive everything that generates any kind of perceptual construct based in hostility or fear allows that to be collapsed and it leaves a clean and open space within your mind for the actuality to write meanings on you, for the mind of love to write meanings on you rather than the mind of the generations. So it becomes very real and very practical. It has, doesn't have anything to do with Sunday morning. Sadly, most of churchianity is working out of the same kinds of errors that the physicist, as this one physicist said with, with the new understanding, is carbon-based memory made up a story. You know, they have this thing, they, they take this work of this man, Yeshua, and and my offering is, I don't, he doesn't give us the, an ultimate, he says, here are the tools for you to have the direct experience of the ultimate. But man came along and said, ah, my carbon-based memory says this is the ultimate, so I'm going to make up my own little sect here. <laughs> you know, supposedly following that man that earned that title Christ, they call it Christian, and right now, there are some 32,000 sects of Christianity. Why? Well, there was one man who brought forward, here's how you do it, 
and people came along and had a certain level of experience and they went, oh, well, here's what it is. Here's what it is. Here's what it is. Here's what it is. And now we have 32,000 sects of people saying, here's what it is. I don't know what it is, except to say love is the, at the root of it. <clears throat> and what I've spent the last 45 years doing is decoding the language from the Aramaic as to how to come to the direct experience of that. Not to try to explain for anybody, <laughs> you know, the craziness to say, I can explain for you what the actuality is. But I know how you can get to your own direct experience of it, a personal experience, personally experienced, not standing around looking at somebody else's personal experience and worshiping that, which sadly is what most of churchianity has done. And that means it's been stunted in whatever the limited perceptions were of whoever initiated that sect. So how big is the construct? <laughs> well, Hubble's giving us some ideas. And we were given a mind that can comprehend that. That would be my offering. And the way we achieve contact with that mind is by shutting the other one up, carbon-based memory. And you do that through forgiveness. <clears throat> and when carbon-based memory stops reacting to every situation and you just look at that word react, how did you do it? redo an act that was done on a previous occasion? When that's no longer there to take over your perceptual mind, then there's a clean space in you for the mind of love, the mind of God, the mind of Christ to write in you, and since there's nothing left in the Antichrist 666 carbon-based memory to go against it, there's a space for experiencing directly for yourself. Now, most people would rather go, oh, yeah, well, I'd rather be comfortable. You know, just give me, you know, lots of sugar and beer and alcohol, and, you know, I don't want to do my work. I don't want to look at that. I just want everything to be the way I want it to be. There's, there's the, the problem. Of Course in Miracles talks about you must be aware of the distorting power of the way you want it to be because your goals drive that perceptual mind. And if you load a goal in your mind that resonates any form of hostility or fear, then your mind will project its hostility or fear into its brain's image, its perception, its constructs about whatever it's looking at. And you know, out of that, the one word religion of blame is formed. And most people by the age of four are members of the one world religion of blame. We're here to help you escape from that brainwash and have your own direct personal experience of the active presence of love in you, the mind of love in you being your fuel, being your source. So that's what we're here to support. That's what we're here to be part of. And Ms. Jeannie, do we have anybody on the phone too with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? Oh, give me just a minute. I hit the wrong button and actually closed out my switchboard. How oh, what fun. Technology, it's so great. I've been my, there, my computer crash. Okay, go, go for it. I believe it's Dusty, 904. You're on the air. Well, well, well Dusty, we haven't heard your voice in a while. Welcome, sir. Good to hear from you. Thank you much, Lee. I appreciate it. Um, well, that was a beautiful 
um, reiteration that you just did, and it, it did spark some new things in me, or or, or maybe I should Sweet. say reminded me. Reminded me, I would say, actually, of sparks that I already had in there that I forgot I had, you know, that kind of thing. And um, Yay. Yay, yay. And, um, yeah, I... I, I um oh, I don't so you said so much and so many thoughts went through my head. Probably the least of which I have to kind of back into it here is that um this going to church every day and the way people look at their religion kind of thing, it reminds me I I joined this band one time and the guy I joined with quit uh next week and he said, Well all we ever do is practice our mistakes. And that's what I have seen. I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate anybody's, uh, you know, churchy, churchanity, but uh, uh, I was an altar boy for years, and I've been to enough churches. And, yeah, it's like you go back and you hear the same thing the same way, and you practice your mistakes rather than upgrade something. You reminded me of that, and I appreciate it. Cool. Well, and if you uh, um, if you look at that word altar a little differently than it's traditionally used as a place of worship, if you look at that word altar, A-L-T-E-R, the work of Yeshua is about altering the generational patterns, freeing us from them, and stepping into the truth of who we are as human beings. So and well, and there are I, there are many people in the religious realm that really truly are working to understand and to to bring us to that altered state to free us from that mind and unfortunately there are some minds who have forgotten that that's the purpose gotten crystallized well, I, in the in the game. Well, I love that uh, altered altered. Altered. That's great because I find myself. Uh, I have been saying this to myself and a couple, two other people for years and years that I, I have to reinvent myself every day. And when I, uh, and when I was listening to you, your words reminded me. Yeah, it's more of an upgrade, Dusty. <laughs> You're taking a part yes. of you and, and upgrading. If you read and yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, if you read my book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? One of the chapters is Escaping from the Has-Been. And yeah. the mind is nothing exactly. but a has-been. It's just a repository of the past. It's just all it can do is replicate and repeat, repeat, repeat the past. And if, if somebody's living in a Why Is This Happening to Me Again? Time to get out the forgiveness sheets and start to work through it because that's all the mind can do is repeat whatever's in there. You know, So we have to awaken from that has-been that uh, that mind of the past, the mind of the generations, and wake up to the truth of functioning as human beings, as love. Yes. Oh, I know one thing. Before, I'll, I'll forget this if I don't say it right now. I read a, a book. I, in fact, I, I just called to me, honest to God, it did. I, walking by a stack of books I haven't looked at in, since the 80s, maybe, and uh, didn't even know. I still don't know where all's in that the stack of books, but one just kind of called me and I opened it to this one spot and it was to forgiveness and it was by somebody Aaron A-A-R-O-N at any rate he said um, to forgive 
even the seemingly unforgivable in ourselves and others. And this is the work of the open heart. Sounds right on to me. Yeah, and I like the phrase, the seemingly unforgivable, because that's the part where it's easy to trip, is it not? For sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. There are, you know, atrocities. That, and, and of course, that phrase applies only if we're stuck in the Greek idea of forgiveness that I'm supposed to let you off the hook for the unforgivable thing yeah. that you've done rather than realizing whatever you did that my mind considers unforgivable. <clears throat> if my mind is serving me up pain, that's what needs to be forgiven, that in me, which I have not yet forgiven, that which I've projected onto you but really has nothing to do with you. Right. And, and to realize, you know, another piece of that puzzle is to realize that each person who holds in them a belief in the unforgivable energetically mm-hmm. is contributing to energetically contributing and supporting the person who does the quote-unquote unforgivable yeah because yeah. we have this collective energy system and you know oftentimes people don't even know you know you say to somebody well why did you do that she's i don't know i just you know i don't know i just did it and they have no idea that it's a collective energetic force from a number of people who hold a pattern that matches whatever they have unresolved in them and oftentimes it's the external stimulus that resonates that pattern and and brings it up strong enough resonates it strong enough that people fall into doing the behavior with no knowledge of what their motivation even is or what they're responding to right. yeah I guess that's the advantage of being able to come if a person can uh, uh, to more or less a present moment is it only in the I'm thinking that only in the now or do we have enough clarity to even get a clue but the thing I liked about that, uh, and I understand your, uh, your uh, you know, the, your, the, your version of uh, Ho'oponopono, and I love it. Um, but when he said the seemingly unforgivable, oh, I mean, if a person can go do that, they can go right through it and come out to where you're talking about, I think. And um, it all tied in for me, and I appreciated that. Um, one other Sweet. thing, I don't know. You just you just rocked a lot of brain cells. So um, in me. So Good. another thing, you, I, and, and I oh I know. I guess it was I forget how what you said exactly, but um, I find myself. I have made this error. I pretty much continue to this day doing the same thing, and I don't know. I'm getting better at dealing with it, and um, but I I meet someone or I see someone and I look at them and I, I look at who they are. I mean, I quite often their name goes in one ear and out the other just instantly, but I want to see who they are. And I, if you look at someone just or anything, there's usually a shine of some kind in there. Right. And, um, and I will see something beautiful in someone and I will relate as if that's, I mean, as as if more or less that's who they are, and and I might even you know I'll get a little joyful and a little open and playful, and 
and I find out that uh, that may be who they are, but they don't know that. So what you're saying right. and the way you're acting is totally alien to them. They 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 don't know. They don't. Know, I mean, yeah, I'm either a lunatic or 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 blah 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 blah. Um, and uh, that has been an issue <laughs> for a long time. And I'm not sure what you said to pull that one loose, but I thank you for it. Um, Sweet. Yeah, I, yeah, I, Doing my I, job. I, I, I love. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a beautiful job, and the uh, just the the whole concept of uh, some of the concepts that you brought forth from the, from the Aramaic are. I apply them. I mean, they're part of my life. When I heard them, I went, yeah, that's true. And, you know, it's as true as our perspective can be. Um, right. I guess I hear you talk about our, our carbon-based memory, and, of course, we're all trying to, or at least, no, we're not, we're not all, maybe, but you are, and uh, I am, you know, trying to get um, worked into the um, the better part of all of that, and um, but yeah, I think most folks. And oh, and another, and the other thing you said something about oh, that's too hard. Blah, blah, blah. I I have to tell you, I you know how you do your still point breathing, and I think it's absolutely marvelous that you you have that as part of your uh, uh, curriculum or understanding or process, and and. That's what's uh, especially, I mean, my whole life, I've taken so many impacts, one that would have killed just anybody and uh, not that long ago, and it's the breathing stuff. And I've got friends that I love that are getting, you know, they're in their 70s now, and I keep saying, you've got to breathe. You used to be able to sing. You used to be able to do that learn how to breathe correctly, and then do it. And so many of us, especially in this uh, dominant culture, you know, just because we have a mental abstract of something, we think, oh, well, that's all we need. No, you got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't just For think sure. about breathing. Yeah. I mean, that's huge, What I, I mean, what I see is, um, people, and then people like the people across the way. They're lovely people, but they have they're locked in their little cultural womb. Womb, and I have to know that when I talk to them that they are lovely people. They really are, but I oh. can't go too far outside that womb. Right, got to stay inside the box. But you know, it's interesting that when I do a still point breathing workshop, I'll explain to people, you know, some of the physiology and the physics of it and such, but ultimately underneath it all, the real reason the breath is such a key, if you go back into the Aramaic creation story, where we're told, and again, it's unfortunate that a lot of this is seen as related to theology when it's not related to theology at all. It's related to life. It's just where we live. But in that creation story where we're told it says that God sent out his spirit, in Aramaic what it says is God sent out his breath. 
Yeah. Direct connection to, it's our direct connection to love. That's why it's so powerful. That's why it'll work to resolve and undo anything. Yeah, it's sort of like, it, I mean, it is kind of a magic elixir, uh, in, just to make up a little phrase. I like that, what you said. Yeah, 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 it is. And, uh, and you literally are direct connection. Yeah, okay. Good. That's, I'm glad, I'm glad you, I've got that, those words, um, bouncing around in my brain. So when I breathe, I'll be more cognizant of, oh, I don't need to do so many breaths to get to such certain place or this, that, and the other. It's like, it's in the breath, right? That's, That's it. Thing. And, and you know, the, yeah. again, the ancients said, ultimately, <clears throat> this again has been made a religious idea. They said the veil of the temple must be rent in twain, torn in two. And, yeah. of course, churchianity has made that a purple curtain in a church. But the temple is this body-mind unit. The veil, the barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious mind, are built by holding the breath. And if people uh, watch where they've closed their breath off in their physiology, that's the place in their physiology that they've hidden the pain and the trauma and what they don't want to deal with. That's why their diseases show up there. And when they can embrace those energetic patterns and open that barrier, that veil that's been built by holding the breath, by breathing into those places in physiology, whatever distorted or disabling content is stored there processes out. Ah, yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, oh, and uh, another thing you mentioned, Michio Kushi and her, uh, I'm saying it right, saying it right. Um, yeah, Keiko, yeah, Michio I, Kushi I mean, is the guy who I, did I the uh, yes. Japanese stuff. I love that guy because, yeah, the Japanese, white hair guy, yeah. Michio. Right. Anyways, he's... The physicist you're but talking what, about. But you alluded to the fact that he was uh, uh, maybe a step a little further than some, and I've I've noticed that myself, and uh, and I've heard him comment on the Big Bang theory uh, more than once, and um, uh, and I've noticed because I like to watch the Science Channel or whatever it is right. when I watch, and and I'm getting so sick and tired of someone who's married to that paradigm as if it was an absolute religion, and this is the way it is. And yeah. and and now they want to talk about hardware and satellites. Period. I mean, that's it. You know. And I go, no, right. no, 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 no. And then Michio Kushi said something that I personally that, that touched me personally that may not uh, touch other people the same way. But he said, um, uh, you know, and they may change this one any time. But he said, a lot of people, you know, think it's a big bang and the, the initial expansion, everything. And, we're so used to a gaseous, uh, you know, an atmosphere here, but he said that the the um, substance or the substance of the universe in the first umpteen whatever moments was more like a liquid. And I went, yay, yeah, yeah, more like a liquid. And um, but he does seem to uh, have higher. Uh, a certain degree of higher consciousness in this science, does he not? Yeah. Yeah, and we're we're actually talking about Michio Keiku, 
Michio Kuchi yeah, was the guy who uh, who started um, what's the Microbiotic. Eastern Microbiotic, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's Keiku is the yeah, physicist. Yeah. Have you heard him Keiku, talking okay. about? Have you have you heard him talking about the Big Bang since the this new telescope went up? Because he's just like all uh, over. It's done. There is no Big Bang. That's just now all like passe. It was it was a fraud. Yeah, I don't know Which that kind of, I have. Because I was, sometimes you watch a show that got filmed, you know, like ten years ago, and you're not you don't know exactly when it got done. Right. You know what I mean? So. Well, if you go to YouTube, just put Keiko in and Big Bang, and he'll come up. That's one I watched yesterday, and it was like, you know, and it'll say, you know, they lied to us, which, again, I don't quite understand why it wasn't, in his mind, why it wasn't just a mistake that there was a lie involved, but who knows? <laughs> That's not science. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, because the, the, the mantra of the scientists, I mean, at least what they like to tell themselves is that, you know, it's like, oh, well, even if an experiment goes wrong, we learn. And, you know, we just got to keep gotta get things like better. And, yeah, but you're not not if you're lying. And uh, yep. so that's, that's yep. good to know. I appreciate that. I'll, Number one, so honoring K- truth K-A-K-U. has got to be right up there. That's K-A-K-U, right? K-A-K-U, yeah. Michio Keiku. Right, right. Yeah, I, I'm going, I think I will watch that because, no, I, I, didn't know that they had just deep success. That somebody had deep success there again. So that's yeah. great. Well, he ha- he does in that video, and uh, he's also deep sixing AI. He's he's got some pretty uh, dramatic oh, yeah. uh, resistances to uh, or or projections about what is going to happen with AI if we're not very careful. Oh yeah, I'm I, I've been. Ever since the, 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 the digital drug hit, I um, um, everybody thinks it's the new messiah. I've been going, oh, oh, this is a false messiah, and that, yeah, that that AI thing just, I go, whoo, uh, yeah, I, I can't even hardly look at look at that possibility because it's already too big now, and um, yeah, um, yeah. But I would like to hear what he has to say. I guess I can always breathe deeply while I listen to it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, when you watch it, let me know what you think. Give me a shout. Oh, okay, will do. And meantime, I'll let the line go for someone else. But it's good to talk to you, brother. I, I, I love it. You're still rocking the uh, top, walking the talk there. We're on it. All things rocking forward. Okay. Ty, everybody. I'm looking at one of the titles of one of his uh, his uh, programs. I just did a quick look on uh, – it wasn't the one I watched yesterday. It would probably be the next one I watched, but uh, just his conclusion, the title of it is uh, Michio Keiku, Time Does Not Exist, James Webb Telescope Proved to Us. And then the other one, oh, here, here's, the, here's the search to put in the one I watched yesterday. Michio Keku breaks in tears. Quote, they lied to us since 1931. That's one I watched yesterday. So just like, oh, so would I, would I, is it still Big, big Bang or should I say tears breaks in tears? Yeah, yeah the title doesn't have Big Bang in it. It's just uh, Michio Keku breaks in tears, colon, 
quote, they lied to us since 1931, explanation, end quote. Is it? Okay. Actually, I'll just, I'll just text you a, a link to it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that because I'm uh, not anywhere near a pen or a pencil or uh, whatever. Cool. So, I, yeah, thank you. And, um, yeah, um, a- anything else, bro? No, we're just rocking on. Okay, well, uh, um, much blessings to all who are listening and just to all, period. All right, and, uh, appreciate and, you. Okay, ta-ta. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, so we have 15 minutes, and our calling number is 563-999-3581. Press 1. Up, oh, we have a hand go up. I believe it's Miss Celinda, 541. You're on the air. Yes, it is. Hey there, young lady. Welcome. I've been uh, following your conversation. Thank you very much with Dusty. And um, Cool. Uh, what was the other Michio Kakepu um, video Kaku. you were watching yesterday? Pardon? I'll, I'll, I'll send you a link. The other one, because I got breaks breaks in tears. Um, I'm putting it in the. Um, I'm putting the links in the chat room. I mean, in the uh, notes as well. It's time does not exist. Oh, time does not exist. Great. I'd like to see both of those. Very good. Well, carry on, dear hearts. You're doing great. All right, we'll do it. You have a blessed one. Yeah, he's an interesting guy to watch on uh, on YouTube. So, Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody else in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? No, we do not. And unless somebody else uh, presses one or unless you have something else, um, I had gotten a request from someone that um, at the times when you didn't have someone to chat with, perhaps go over the different kinds of worksheets that we have and a little deeper explanation on each one of them. So if you want to pick one and do that, unless you have something else to talk about. Well, actually, at this moment, I don't have anything on my mind besides what we have covered. How about you? Nope. Well, let's um, let's talk a little bit about the power person dynamic then. And when we recognize that this power person who is a person in our lives that had more power over our lives at some point than we did. That person was not functioning as love. And we're not functioning out of or behaving in just and fair ways. And we perceive that 
they had that that we were in a survival situation. Those three things occur in someone's mind, and all of a sudden we're locked into or take on this power person dynamic. And when those three conditions occur, and it's usually between a parent and a child, although not always, then for the rest of that person's life, until they come to understand and work through power person dynamic that was installed in them at that moment with that power person, it'll the behaviors related to it will run one's life. So what happens once that power person dynamic is installed in the mind is whenever we experience elevated levels of stress, we, we've been tricked into believing that these realities of perceptual constructs of our mind are true. And under the influence of the power person dynamic, in fact, they're just reflections and projections of dissociated content from carbon-based memory. That storage system, generational patterns in the mind, or that end up showing up as content reflected in the mind when they're resonated into activity. So carbon-based memory replicates the power person dynamic over and over and over and over again until it's forgiven. And my offering is that's what runs the world. That's what virtually everyone in the world is behaving out of whenever they're under stress. Now, when there's no stress, they're still behaving in relationship to it, but it will tend to be whatever they did to get along with the power person. When stress starts to build, what happens is one moves from that place of doing what they did to get along with the power person to doing the the automatic decision kicks in in the mind, and they'll kick into doing whatever it is they did to resist and survive with their power person. And then when they become ultra-stressed, they'll do what their power person did to them that they hated the most. That's what drives all violence on the planet. That's what drives divorce. That's what drives separation. That's what what produces war, attack, violence in all forms. Verbal, mental, emotional, physical, sexual violence are all based in power person dynamics. And in order to get free of that, what one needs to own and understand is that when either fear or hostility are active, I mean, you've got to learn to call your own mind a liar. When hostility or fear are active, your mind's using corrupt data based in that unresolved, unconscious power person dynamic to construct your picture of the world. That's the basic bottom line of what virtually everybody in the world is being controlled by. Painted on the inside of our eyeballs is a self-generated, why is this happening to me again experience. And when you recognize yourself as a creator, then you recognize that, recognize that life will relentlessly cooperate with your unconscious creations. And if there are unresolved power person dynamics, when those power person dynamics are resonated into activity, life's going to come along and play with it, going to play it out with you. And 
when someone shows up that plays it out. And my brain, my mind, paints a picture on the inside of my eyeballs. It's based in some form of hostility or fear. I'll think I'm looking at the world out there, but I'm looking at a world that's internal to my mind and built on my own hidden, pain-based, associated content. Pain, perceptions, resistance of all kinds, struggle, fight, all pain content comes from, or pardon me, pain perceptions come from pain content. And what happens is when I live in denial, and and remember our definition of denial is when I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of something that's inside of me, then I have to dissociate from the content of my own mind. The real truth of what's beneath my pained experience, I have to hide from myself because I've said and, and that you're doing it to me. So the thought, just the thought or the words, you made me, means that I'm now in denial. And so in order to reinforce the lie my mind is telling me, I'll take the pained content inside my own mind and remember the mind has the ability to take data and make it into pictures. So in that data that's related to pain is denied, the root of it's hidden, and the mind then takes that content to make the pictures that it paints on the inside of my eyeballs that I think are pictures about you. So that's called projection. My mind projects its own pain-producing content into my brain's image of them. And if I believe the lie, I can't access the hidden corrupt data that needs to be removed. I can't forgive in that state. I need to learn to forgive that content in order to be free of it. And I've got to learn to discern and remove what's at the root of these internally generated pictures that appear to be true in order for me to be liberated from my why is this happening to me again, in order to be liberated from the past. Remember, Yeshua spoke to one man who, so I've got to go take care of my father. Now, I'm going to I'm going to come follow you someday, but right now, and and what Yeshua said is, let the dead bury the dead, let the blind lead the blind, lead the blind. Pardon me. If you want to be liberated from the past, in the instant where your mind is serving up pained perceptions, you've got to realize that every pained perception is a projection. I mean, short of somebody punching you in the nose. So if I want to be liberated from the past, I have to start to question those internally generated pictures that appear to be true. And as I develop the skill of owning, decoding, and forgiving my unconscious content, that's the moment when I make the space or actuality to show up. So one of the choices that needs to be made in order to be finished with the past projections is to willingly choose through forgiveness to relinquish the habit of displacing actuality 
with my power person dynamic of dissociated pain-based realities and pain-based constructs. That's the, in, in a simple statement, that's the work that ultimately needs to be done. Now, what do I need to do to carry out that work? Well, recognize that when I set a goal, a stress is created. A stress is established in my mind the moment I set a goal. The level of stress that I experience is determined by the distance, so to speak, the differential between the way I see it and the way I want it to be. The bigger that difference is, You know, to use an example, let's say yesterday I loaned you a quarter and today I see you and I say, I want my quarter back. And you say, no, you're never getting your quarter back. And I go, okay, so you're not going to give me my quarter. So what? But what if yesterday I loaned you a million dollars and you promised to give it back to me today? And I said, I need my million dollars. There's a big differential in the way I see it and the way I want it to be, and there's going to be a whole lot more stress in me going after the million dollars than there was in me going after the quarter. So when I set a goal and someone violates, myself or someone else violates that goal, the, the distance, so to speak, that we're referring to here expands, and that expansion is the elevation of my stress. If that increased stress resonates or calls into play hidden, painful, and mostly emotionally dissociated parts of my own carbon-based memory, that's when I'll project that content into my brain's image of you. I'll paint a picture of you on the inside of my, my eyeballs with a reality, my own dissociated content. That's called projection. That's called codependence. Codependent relationship is a relationship where I think you're the cause of what's going on inside of me. Exactly the same, actually, is our definition of denial. Whenever I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of what's moving inside of me, I have to dissociate from what's moving inside of me. In other words, I'm not able to look at the truth of the situation. So if I'm in a situation that calls into painful, emotionally dissociated parts of my mind, that's when I project that content into my brain's image of you. And you'll show up in my mind, in my perception, with my problem attached, and I'll believe that it's your problem, that it's caused by you. If I'm unconscious of the transparent process of projection, I'll see the outpicturing of my mind's hidden content, my perception, as a fact. And I'll believe it's a fact because I can see it in my mind's image of them. I'll really believe that they're the problem. But, of course, I have to start sooner or later to go, hmm, I'm the one that's feeling this. Maybe this is detailing a hidden part of my own mind. Now, the hidden and projected part of my own mind may be true about them as well, but I can't really tell, but I do know for sure that the fact that I'm feeling it, it's true about me. 
and the presence of my fear and or hostility testifies the truth that my mind is using my corrupt data to build the world of my perception. And this unconscious process simultaneously tricks me into believing my mind's lies, blocks me from experiencing truth about myself as love, and gates out the experience of actuality. Repeating the pattern of blame at the root of that pain voids my opportunity for complete healing in regard to this issue. So I need to identify precisely the person triggering me and the goal driving this process, and there's my next forgiveness process. There's the key to my healing. And I was just informed by the little voice coming from Blog Talk Radio that we are just seconds away from being cut off. So I'm going to say thank you for joining us, everybody. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world and blessings. Bye-bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.